You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. This was kind of the last section in a, in a series, essentially, of um, trying to think about how to help others with different issues. And um, today we're going to talk about one of the harder topics to talk about, sexuality, that we kind of need to talk more about. Um, so hopefully the way we talk about it will be helpful, okay? Um, what I'm going to do is start, I have a, a little definition of sexuality that I'll start with and try to flesh it out. And I'm going to try to give some background. And then there's just different categories of um, sexual things that we might struggle with that I just have overview thoughts that we can dialogue about and um, answer questions and stuff. So I forgot my good glasses, so I had to use the ones in the back of my phone. So, um, all right. I'm going to read this second paragraph down or kind of walk through it a little bit. This is my definition of sexuality because in our culture, I'm going to talk about the three different types of sexuality. Gendered sexuality, that's how we relate as a man or a woman. Erotic sexuality, which is kind of a mysterious thing that moves us towards the acts of sex, which is the third type of sexuality. Our culture teaches a very masculine view of sex that the only way you can be sexual is to participate in the acts of sex. Okay, I believe there's three types of sex. That's what I'm going to try to help us understand in the first couple minutes. All right. So here's my definition for sexuality. Sexuality is a vitality that can act like a homing instinct propelling us to know and be known by God and others or find a completion in others, participate in Trinitarian-like love. We are primarily, primarily relational people. Remember God, three persons that relate so well, they're one God. Okay. Um, and the way we're moving in our sexuality as a man or a woman helps us to be restored relationally. All right. So life-giving sexuality moves us towards vulnerable, unselfish, creative, and faithful intimacy with God and others. I don't have time to define each of those words, but we're, we're born broken relationally. Okay? They are qualities of restoration. As we're moving to those qualities, as we're able to express unselfishness, vulnerability, creativity, faithfulness, we're actually being restored in our relational selves and we're becoming more masculine or feminine, whatever that might be be according to our sex, okay? In this process of being restored relationally, we glorify God and celebrate His goodness within boundaries He sets and helps you honor in the stewardship of your sexuality. Whatever boundaries God sets, whatever way we're supposed to express our sexuality, we can only live into that with His help. We can't do that on our own, okay? Um, And then I just say this at the end. Marital sexuality and sex is a unique way a husband and wife can participate with God in creating new life and enjoying and restoring their sexuality by surrendering their shame and offering grace to each other. I'll just say this about marital sexuality. A man and a woman are relating a certain way, okay, outside the bedroom. Inside the bedroom, how they're relating outside the bedroom affects their connection inside the bedroom, okay? The more they're being restored relationally outside the bedroom, the more rest, beauty, vitality there is inside the bedroom. These things go together. All right. So if you look down, if you go down to the bottom of the page where I talk about the three expressions of sexuality. First, we've talked about gendered sexuality. This refers to being a person made in the image of God, either male or female. 
and how they reflect their uniqueness in relationship to find oneness with others. Certainly outside of the church, outside of a Christian view of sexuality, this, this is becoming a less and less popular way to think about sexuality. Okay? Simple verse, when God created man, he made, them in, made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. I'm going to summarize down there at the bottom, I think, what's hard for each gender. For a man, what's hard is to become relationally involved. For a woman, what's hard is to stay relationally open. And I'm just going to read this quote by Larry Crabb, and then we're going to talk okay, about it. So this is the top of page two. And what he's going to say is the way a man and a woman relate in the act of sex the way man and woman have intercourse, is a picture of the masculine soul and the feminine soul. So he says this, Perhaps the physical shape of a woman's body is a kind of a parable or picture of the spiritual shape of a woman's soul. Could femininity have something to do with a woman who is relationally open to receive? Our likeness to God is not physical. God is a spiritual being. Three persons who relate together, not physically, but personally. We reflect him most clearly as we relate together as persons. A feminine woman is a woman who relates in a particular way. She is open to receive others who come to her. And pushing that image further, she warmly and pleasurably surrounds those who she receives. She invites movement toward her and embraces the movement she receives. If relational femininity is displayed in a woman who is open to receive godly movement and longs to nourish godly movement, Relational masculinity is revealed in a man who remembers God's story and moves to advance its plot. Until a man mirrors, however stumblingly, the relational movement of the God who never forgets his covenant and never stops moving in costly love, that man will never know what it means to be fully alive in his masculinity for the glory of God. The courage required of a man to stay warmly involved with someone whose problems he cannot fix is in short supply." So he puts words to kind of relational femininity, relational masculinity. For a woman, it's being more open and surrounding, supporting. For a man, it's moving and staying involved. These are what's hard for a man and a woman. Men and women do both, but this is what's harder. Okay, Harder for a woman to stay open, harder for a man to stay involved. If we're being restored in the gospel, we're moving into better expressions of those themes. Okay? So let me stop. Any thoughts or questions? I don't want to... And again, in our culture, we really only teach sex as the acts of sex. We don't teach our sexuality as part of uh, our sexuality. Any thoughts or questions? All right. Okay. So that's our first expression of sexuality. Our second expression of sexuality is erotic sexuality. I say it this way. A heightened sense of sexual energy that mysteriously propels us beyond everyday relational boundaries into a more intimate sense of communion with another person that is relational or relational and physical. Now let me give you an example of what I was saying. Where are relational sexuality? Um, Let's say as a man, if the less courage you have to involve yourself with other people, men or women, and we're not talking in the acts of sex, we're just talking the way we relate. As a man, the more you have faithfulness, creativity, unselfishness, vulnerability, 
The more you're doing that, the more all the relationships refresh you and the less you would express erotic sexuality or feel it in a relationship outside your marriage. Okay, The less redeemed you are to some degree as a man, the more you might sexualize any type of intimacy. Does that make any sense? I don't want to confuse people. Say it again. Okay, I can't remember it, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is, if if I was to give you maybe a visual will help better. If we um, let's just say if we're talking about a man here, okay, and this represents his soul, okay, and this represents Christ in him, and this represents his fleshly nature. And we believe sanctification means Christ in him can grow up. Walking in the Spirit is not a one-day thing. You slowly, your flesh gets smaller, Christ. The more and more a man is redeemed, the less he would um, sexualize intimacy with someone other than his spouse. Does that make sense? Okay. That's all I'm trying to say. That erotic sexuality, the more we're redeemed, the more you experience that in appropriate relationships. All right? Um, And then genital sexuality, this is the most specific and easiest to understand of the types of sexuality. It involves the physical sexual acts themselves. Okay? I want you to see how these things work together. All right? If you were a, a young child and you were molested, someone took advantage of you in the acts of sex, okay? And obviously there's there's no relationship, there's no rightness to do that. That then perverts that person's sense of themselves and every step forward that they take relationally is impacted by that act. That's why sexual abuse is so heinous. And oftentimes what happens is a person where that's happened, and especially where it's not talked about or they don't get help, they begin to get locked up in lies about themselves, like I'm bad or I'm dirty, that pulls them away from gendered sexuality, from relating, okay? So these are connected. The more we're growing up into healthy uh, gendered sexuality or relational sexuality, then the more the other two fall into place. Where the other two are violated, it affects our relationality, okay? I hope that makes a little bit of sense. All right. So I just have a couple broad categories of how this, um, how we want to be thinking in terms of restoration and helping people. And then we can talk about the different categories with questions, okay? <coughs> so the first category, I think any place you're experiencing sexual brokenness are going to bring questions up with the Lord, okay? Someone who's dealing with same-sex attraction, transgenderism, the things that we hear about in our culture... If someone's struggling with that, I believe they're going to have deep questions with the Lord because oftentimes um, family, creation, just the things that were handed to affect our experience of those things. And so that can bring up questions with the Lord. All right. Does that make sense a little bit? So then I just say this. The deep cut to one's soul and relationality from sexual brokenness, violation, often causes someone to fall into isolation, believing that no one can understand their inner struggles. Because our sexuality affects... Our sexuality is, again, it's a vitality to help us experience oneness with others. It's the energy at which we move into relationships, whether that's at work or family. If we experience a brokenness in our sexuality, it affects every step we take. 
It's affecting how we relate, how we give and receive ourselves. Okay? So then it's going to, can bring isolation and questions toward the Lord. All right? Because their sexuality has been violated and this impacts all the moves they make or don't make in the relational world, they often go forward with a pain feeling that impacts their ability to love or be loved. This is particularly true in their relationship with God. The inner pain and confusion, shame and condemnation, sexual violation or brokenness causes will impact one's relationship with God. As a result, many victims, perpetrators, maintain distance from God. So here's my thought on this. It's important you believe for them that God has not and will not forget them and or forgives them and then demonstrates that in how you care for them. You could be dealing with someone, I've worked with people who've been a sexual perpetrator. And obviously to have acted out sexually on someone else who is more vulnerably, there's a lot of guilt and shame. It's hard for that person, every step they take, every relationship they're in, it's hard for them to feel forgiveness. And so if you are caring for someone like that, you have to be able to say and re-say that they're forgiven and trying to help them integrate that. All right. The biggest thing I would want us to think if we're trying to one another someone who's dealing with any type of sexual issue, it's one of the hardest things to talk about, and you're going to have some issues with God most likely, and so you have to be able to let that person lament and complain and talk about their struggles with the Lord and others. Okay, That's just one big category of um, kind of um, caring for others who have this issue. I just started a book. Um, Mark Yarhouse is a researcher, psychologist, counselor, teacher. And he's been working, I think, two or three decades with same-sex attraction, transgenderism, etc. And he's written a book called Gender Dysphoria. And he's both a practitioner, a researcher, a teacher. He has every area covered. And I just read the first two chapters, and I was just struck by his kindness and his humility. And I felt like someone who's been working in that area for that long, caring for people, he's been formed in a way that he really knows how to care for others because it's just a difficult area to enter into. Okay, So that would be my first broad category. Okay, My second broad category would be helping them name what is true. The confusion from sexual brokenness is hard to navigate. Others need a place to discuss, reflect, and name what is true. I'm going to talk about an abuse victim. I'll just give you an example of this. Oftentimes, I may meet with someone, and they have to, both on a form they fill out or questions I may ask, they may disclose incidents of their past that they may or may not have considered traumatic or harmful. Okay? Oftentimes, people will talk about an issue with a babysitter, a friend that had sexual violation involved. And oftentimes, what happens in sexual violation is... A person with power pursues someone with less power and who has some need and creates a bond that elicits kind of affection in the more vulnerable person. And then that person violates the more vulnerable person. And because there was a relationship where the vulnerable person was getting something and feel affirmed, then as they're being violated, it's very confusing. And it causes them often to shut down and not be able to talk about it or say anything about it. Okay? And so oftentimes I'm meeting with someone where that's happened, but they won't say that that was abuse or they won't say that they were vulnerable. They won't use a word like violated. So oftentimes just helping them name what's true is hard work. Okay? 
So if you're going to talk with care for someone to help them think about and name what's true is a big part of it. Okay. Um, I say, for instance, an abuse victim may have a hard time naming that they were abused. Denial was likely one of the chief means for surviving their abuse. Facing the truth about past abuse begins when a person says, yes, I was abused, and the one who hurt me took something away I can never get back. Oftentimes, we would have a hard time helping someone say that. Obviously, someone in that place would have a hard time saying it. That's why they need help, naming it and talking about it. Okay. The last category I have is embracing anguish. It's one of my favorite words, sorrow and anger mixed together. Facing pain and embracing sorrow with the expectation of finding comfort feels wrong. Okay? Oftentimes, when we're hurting, all right, we don't think the way towards comfort is feeling anguish and sadness. We oftentimes we think it's the away from that. Okay? The scriptures say sorrow is better than laughter because sorrow has a refining influence on us. Or it talks about godly sorrow. We'll never regret that kind of sorrow. It helps us to turn away from sin and seek salvation. Okay? Sorrow, anguish, can actually refine us because there's vulnerability in it. All right? Um, learning how and what to grieve is necessary to the healing process. For instance, someone who's dealing with gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction is clearly dealing with the fallenness of this world and needs help to groan that. Okay? So that's kind of my background to the rest of the class. I now have different categories of sexual brokenness we can talk about. And I more want to help you if you feel comfortable asking questions, dialoguing about it. I mean, I can go through each of those and kind of tell you the bullet points I have there. But I would, I want you to look through it and, and, and ask any questions you might have about any of those categories. I have pornography or sexual addiction, sexual abuse, gender dysphoria, same-sex attraction, sexual issues in marriage. Any questions about helping anyone in, in any of those areas? Anybody? Yeah. It may not be the right place to ask it, but so with, with the children that are growing up into middle school and high school mm-hmm. and are going to be around at some point, yeah. friends or acquaintances, that are dealing with some of these things. Mm-hmm. They are not equipped to have all these conversations yeah. that you're having. Yeah. But how do we teach them to be non-judgmental, uh-huh. but at the same time not, you know, how do we lead them through that? Like my children are, you know, fifth and seventh grade. We yeah. haven't even had conversations like yeah. this. Yeah. So at what point do you, without mm-hmm. hindering the process that they're going through of learning their own mm-hmm. sexuality and mm-hmm. gender and all yeah. that and hormones, yeah. But still, does that make any sense? Yeah. Like when yeah. and how do you start to, yeah. or do you just wait for them to come to you yeah. with questions yeah. or with friends that are experiencing okay. it? Okay. So let me just say back to you, the, the question kind of is with our children and issues of sexuality right. that they're going to get a lot of information about. And you want to kind of, I'm going to say this way, you're going to want to have a relationship with them and their sexuality in a way that helps them navigate their own sexuality, but also help others outside of them so that they can be loving, but still hold on to the truth. Is that okay? No, that's, I've had a lot of practice. Um, Let me say this first. The thing I would say most simply is 
If you don't have a relationship with your child and their sexuality, their relationship is then going to be with social media and their friends. They are going to have in this culture a relationship with their sexuality. When to talk about it, and you made an indication, sometimes, and it's going to, it's going to depend on child, some, my oldest kind of wanted to talk about it, and she was, she's a more external processor. My youngest didn't. She's a more internal processor. I would strongly encourage you, there's tons of resources out there, and they're being, more are being produced as we talk, okay? I would get some helpful resources, picture books, different things that help you talk to them. But, and I would want you to say this, this is the beginning of an ongoing conversation. And I believe you have to work to create space that they want to talk to you about it, okay? And I would say this, I think we both did a good job and a really bad job with our daughters. They're now raised and they can, we can talk with and look back, okay? I think we should have talked more. And I think we should have created a little bit more of a safety for them to talk. Where I think we did it well, like my, um, Middle was was dating a little person in high school, and I picked her up one night, and I said, "Well, how did it go?" And she said, "Well, I got my first kiss," and I was like, well, "How was that?" And she said, "Well, Dad, I can't lie; I really enjoyed it." So I feel like there was some place for us to talk about it. There was some, okay. So um, I would just recommend one resource I can definitely recommend is Sharon Hirsch. Um, something like mom, sex is no big deal. But if you just went on to Amazon, Sharon Hirsch and sex, and even if she's going to talk about mothers with their daughters, I would encourage dads to read it and even mothers if you have sons because she just gives you some really good categories to think about. But that's a great question. And I think one, parents were waking up too late too. So I would get some resources and try to be prepared. Good question. Anybody else? Victor? Oh, go ahead. Um, with, we have a lot of friends and even some family members that mm-hmm. are gay. Yeah. Um, and I am, I mean, we were in San Francisco for a gay wedding last month, mm-hmm. and I'm very strong that I want my children to grow up loving everybody yeah. and not seeing bad and good. Yeah. But I also, and I, I mean, I hesitate to say it even in this culture, but I don't want them to growing up thinking that it's okay. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So how do you walk that line? Yeah, yeah. I would say this, I think, especially with your children, you walk that line mostly how you talk to them, okay? okay? Because, you, and, and well, we learn three ways, visually, uh, auditory, and kinesthetic, okay? So visually, they're going to watch you, and they're going to watch you and your husband talk, and you and your friends talk, and they're going to learn some things watching, okay? They're going to learn, you're going to talk to them, they're going to hear some things, but also as you relate to them. And one of the reasons relating to them is really important because you know how it says um, Gentile rulers don't lead like Gentiles and lorded over people, serve people. Like the more you're loving your children and helping them step into truth in their own lives at an age-appropriate level, then you're teaching them what you want them to demonstrate outside of you. Okay? Um, so I, I think you just have to take the risk to get involved with them and have conversations about it and keep trying to meet them where they're at and keep trying to help them walk towards better expressions. I, I walked in, this was my middle daughter who's probably most passionate about justice. And I walked in to talk with her one time and she was grieving. And at first I thought she was grieving about like, 
um, why, like she, it was kind of why people are talking against those who have same-sex attraction or homosexuality or whatever you want to call it. More, and I was more like, I thought she was saying like, I want to embrace it and I don't understand why people are against this. Okay, so I'm a little terrified. As she talked about it, she said, no, Dad, I just, I hate how Christians talk to people about it. And then the second part of the conversation was, I just feel so sad for anyone struggling with this. And I, and we hadn't had many conversations, but it was just more her watching and listening and interacting with us that she was beginning to grab those categories. That probably doesn't help you that much. <laughs> um, but, but de- again, developing a relationship and then realizing they're going to probably start off wrong in whatever way. Like sometimes when I would listen to our kids talk about political things, I'm like, where did you learn to talk like that? Like, I don't have any of those kind of beliefs. So we had to kind of interact with them about it along the way. So, all right. Victor? You know, I heard Tim Keller talking in a Q&A about this same subject. And when he got toward the end, his wife chimed in. <laughs> and she made a great point. She said, we all have a brokenness in our sexuality, yes. whether it's, yes. you know, gender, same sex, anything yes. like that. They were yes. all in the same category. Yes, yes. I, I think I think what the issue of again, and this is why I like Mark Yarhouse's term gender dysphoria. It's in, actually in the psychological literature. It's just tension with sexual issues. But we all have brokenness, and I think the issues of transgenderism, homosexuality. I think it's offending our self righteousness and teaching us that we all have brokenness, and we need to be inter- be able to interact with to other towards other people with more love. So. Oftentimes, when we're afraid of something and we're moving away from it and not towards it, okay, it's because of our own self-righteousness. Because the gospel should be giving us life that we're moving towards sin, suffering, and death, not away from it. All right. All right. Anybody else on a... Yeah. I think it's great to hear that at the day school, in fifth grade, they have a birds and the bees day. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, our uh, 11-year-old granddaughter really wanted to talk about it. Yeah. That's tough on old granddad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that and and let me say this, it's a great point that parents also need help because your children might be more comfortable like talking to their youth leader or someone else that helps them have things to talk to you about. That can use resources in doing it. Not just books, but people. All right. Um any other question we can kind of move down the categories unless All right. I'll then, I'll talk a little bit of, if we have time, as much as each one. So, pornography sexual addiction is a rampant problem in our culture. The statistics are a little bit staggering, okay? So, in terms of restoration, someone who has dealing with pornography sexual addiction, there's three things, I think, anyone, three big things. Nourishing relationships. Part of the issue with sexual addiction um, addiction to masturbation and pornography is, is it happens in isolation and in general it is changing because our culture has such a masculine view of sexuality that I would say women are more and more getting pulled into sexual addiction and issues with pornography, but it's primarily or largely a masculine thing. And I believe that's partly because men can compartmentalize different than women, all right? Oftentimes, a man can do something and it doesn't feel to him like anyone else is there. He can get lost in something like that. 
So why oftentimes group counseling helps? Because someone who gets stuck in an addiction, they move towards isolation, which makes it harder to get out of the addiction. So you need nourishing relationships. That takes the compartmentalization away because now you have people who are loving you and with you in it. So now you're talking about it and it's not happening in an isolation, but you're also receiving life in your soul that gives you power to say no. Okay, it says this in 2 Timothy 2.22 to flee youthful lusts, instead pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Realize what we often do is that say no part. All right. Stay away from it. But we don't do this other part. Enjoy companionship of those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Aim towards righteous living. Aim towards faithfulness. We need to be practicing at good things in a way that refreshes us so we have more power to say no. That's where nourishing relationships come in if you're struggling with a sexual issue. All right, a means of grace is something to help you say no. For a lot of men, that's locking down their phones, you know, protection on their laptops, that type of thing. And I will have men that I'm talking to that poo-poo that type of thing and like that's not going to really help because I could still access pornography and to me it's like this the evil one anyone who's doing something they don't want to do like being stuck in a sexual addiction on some level is doing that because their fleshly nature is so overdeveloped they're getting bullied into it when Paul talked about what he didn't want to do that he did what he didn't want to do and he didn't do what he should do he said it really wasn't in it really wasn't him, it was his sin nature. So his flesh was really big, Christ in him was small, all right? And you often need a means of grace that keep you away as you grow up in Christ before you have really the power to say no. It's humility to take help, and I think that help helps you to stand up to the bully, okay? I like to say to guys who don't want to do this and get help that helps them say no, I'm saying if there was a bully who was beating you up every day and I gave you two friends to walk home with you that were bigger than the bully, would you would you walk with them? Okay, just helps you to say no. It's a means of grace. Helps me to do what I ought to do. And then I've already talked about decompartmentalization. So they're the three kind of big things. So someone who's struggling with that, if you're one anothering them, you want to be thinking in those categories and helping them to have nourishing relationships, means of grace, and trying to move away from compartmentalization, all right? Okay, sexual abuse. Um, I, I talked a little bit about how sexual abuse happens. Oftentimes there's a setup, all right? And um, it, date rape can even be like this, where you have a relationship and then someone takes advantage of it. What happens as you're being taken advantage of, there's a moment of real vulnerability, okay? And oftentimes there's a lot of, shame and pain associated with that, that kind of violates a person's soul and shuts them down inside. And this is what you're trying to help them with. The three categories I have there, powerlessness, ambivalence, and betrayal, I would say are the three big things that someone's going to suffer with who's experienced sexual violation, where their sexuality has been violated by someone with more power. Powerlessness is simply... um, that person, as they're shut down in their soul, can actually then begin to let other things happen to them that are not sexual abuse because they have a hard time saying no. That's been violated, okay? So as you work or care for someone like that, just listening to them and trying to think about how to empower them, that's helping them. That's one anothering them, okay? Because oftentimes there's a large sense of powerlessness, okay? The second thing would be ambivalence. Um, And I'll just say it this way. 
someone who's been sexually violated, they have a hard time with vulnerability, okay? And so when, uh, and that's kind of like, instead of being able to be appropriately, appropriately vulnerable, they often really get truncated in ambivalence or like means they just shut down in vulnerability and can't engage or they become very rigid so that they avoid vulnerability. You're trying to help them um, move away from ambivalence into appropriate vulnerability. And oftentimes with a person like that, they can easily get pulled into someone who's going to take advantage of them again. So they need help learning to say no. So they're not shut down in that vulnerability. This is not a good situation and they say no to it. You're empowering them. You're giving them strength. Okay. So they're not supposed to be vulnerable with everyone. You're teaching them how to be vulnerable where it's safe and good and it's going to be esteemed and kind of reciprocated. All right. The second thing is, uh, um, or third thing is the fear of betrayal. In essence, our fleshly nature is already lying to you, telling you that God is holding out on you. That thought that the other shoe's going to drop, that comes from the evil one himself, from your sinful nature. If your sexuality has been violated, that lie gets bigger in your mind. And you have now a hypersensitive fear that there's bad around the corner. And a person just needs help with that. And sometimes helping them is planning a little bit and helping them feel safe. And then that feeling, that worry about being betrayed again kind of gets shut down. But you're trying to kind of give them a little bit more sense of how to navigate into the future and have more confidence uh, appropriately that life can actually get better and, and something worse isn't necessarily around the corner. All right? There are the three things, big things that kind of happen in sexual abuse that you want to help someone with if you're one anothering them. Um, we still got to, let me, I'm going to pause. Any questions? Any? Anybody? Okay. Um, all right, we've probably get a couple minutes on this last uh, third category. So gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction. And we've kind of already talked about some of this. I think in terms of one anothering someone, you have to realize, and I think you all know this, it's a hot-button political issue, and you just have to be sensitive to that. All right? And that means you... Um, want to try to be steadfast and thoughtful and kind as you're engaging because oftentimes it can get easily heated and that takes it away from meaningful dialogue that can be helpful. Okay, So you want to try to remember that it's a hot button issue. I think you know that. Okay, I also think you have to try to first understand something from someone else's perspective. Too often we want to just spout off what we think if someone gives us something contradictory. This is a type of issue where you really have to be curious and really have to try to understand from their perspective what's going on before you speak. This is Larry Crabb, and I think this is a general truth that you want to believe anyway, but he says, quick advice feels like rejection. All right? So trying to have some real understanding just helps you with an issue like that. Okay? Um, and then I say this, a trusting relationship and the Holy Spirit. I think the more and more you build a trusting relationship with someone who's struggling with this issue, realize as you dialogue with them, as you talk with them, you're trusting the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. We really, really, really forget 
the power of listening and dialoguing without shoving our agenda down someone's throat. Okay, What you believe, oftentimes people know what you believe, whether you say it or not. So if you can just dialogue with them about the issues and not have to feel like you have to spout what you believe, oftentimes the Spirit's working and softening. And the more you can dialogue with someone and they trust you and the Spirit's working, then over time that has impact. And too often we just want to say it and be done with it because that makes us feel better. So I think a trusting relationship and the power of the Spirit is way important in that issue. Okay? Um, all right. I guess we've got a couple more minutes. I'll, I'll just say something about sexual issues in marriage. Okay? Um, I kind of already talked about it. I think the biggest thing in marriage is to understand the connection between relating and what happens in the bedroom, okay? If someone is controlling and selfish outside the bedroom, the spouse who's related to them inside the bedroom is going to be more shut down and afraid to open up, okay? So they have to do more work outside the bedroom to help them inside the bedroom. And I think what sex is to a married couple, I like to think that uh, marriage is like running a marathon. I don't think it's ever easy, okay? I think it gets easier, all right? And I think there's beautiful parts of that marathon. All right, But the water stop on the marathon is refreshment. Sex is supposed to refresh us, to propel us up into more of the race. There's always can be some hope that that, 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 that part of the relationship can be satisfying and nourishing, even in its brokenness, as we continue to give ourselves to the Lord and to each other and find more refreshment there. It propels us in the race. That's one of the reasons I think marital sex is sacred because of its purpose. It's supposed to help enduring faithfulness. It's supposed to be refreshment that keeps you moving in the race. That's because marriage is hard and because you need that refreshment. That's why it's reserved for marriage. Okay? There's no relationship like it where you're trying to become one with someone who's totally other than you. And when you experience that otherness in grace in the bedroom in a way that's refreshing, then it helps you in your enduring faithfulness as a couple. Okay? All right. Well, I think that's enough for today. Let me pray for us. All right? All right. Lord, that's a lot of information and a little time. I just pray, um, whether it's things personally for each person here or personally with people they love and know in their world, or as Victor said in quoting Keller's wife, that we all have sexual brokenness, Father. We're all trying to move to a better version of ourselves, Lord. Give us kindness and truth for ourselves as much as kindness and truth for others, Lord. May Jesus, who mirrored grace and truth together, be something that lives in us and through us so that in our own lives we're experiencing more buoyancy and we're bringing that to others, Lord God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.